Hello everyone, welcome to the Quint. Um, I'm Angelica and the founder of Farm First Foundation. This is She Runs Government Dialogues. Uh, a little about us, we are a non-profit, non-partisan organization working to amplify women's political leadership in India through capacity building and mentorship. She Runs Government Dialogues is one of the initiatives where we get political leaders from across, uh, across party lines, uh, from different countries as well, to discuss how to advance women's political representation. This edition of the dialogues is focused on the Women's Reservation Bill. And in the course of three webinars scheduled today and tomorrow, we are discussing uh, different types of gender quotas. Earlier in the evening, we discussed the history of the Women's Reservation Bill in India. Now we are discussing how gender quotas function around the world. We have women politicians from four different countries here who will discuss uh, the challenges that exist with the, you know, after the implementation of gender quotas or perhaps the journey towards achieving a gender quota. We have one more webinar tomorrow evening, which is scheduled at five o'clock. I'm really grateful to our media partner, The Quint, for enabling us. And if you're enjoying this on The Quint, then please make sure that you subscribe to The Quint's membership and enjoy the exclusive webinars offered to Quint members. You can do so on the Quint's website by clicking on the support the Quint button. This panel is powered by Vital Voices and the session will be moderated by, Mani, uh, moderated by Manira Alva. She is, the vice president of, uh, she is the vice president of political and civic engagement at Vital Voices in Washington, DC. Between 2012 and 2015, she was appointed to the Government of India High Level Committee on the Status of Women. She is an award-winning TV producer and writer and has taught in the WGS department at Rutgers University in New Jersey. Over to you, Manira. Thank you, Angelica, for that introduction and for organizing this discussion in what is a very important moment in terms of women's political leadership. Uh, the COVID crisis has thrown up incredible examples of what women leaders in politics can do from New Zealand all the way to our very own state in Kerala. But before I go any further, I want to acknowledge uh, the role of, uh, of Quint, who is our media partner. We understand that journalism costs money and we try to strive for excellence. So their support, which is giving us this much needed impetus to kind of discuss these issues is really important. And it would really help if we could all boost uh, their brand of journalism and uh, become members of the quint.com, which uh, has a plan for members to be able to access all of this. Uh, what Angelica really didn't mention is that Angelica and all of us on this panel are a part of the Vital Voices Engage family. Vital Voices Engage is an annual, I mean, is a one-year fellowship of global women political leaders in partnership with the Council of World Women Leaders, which is all existing and past women heads of government of state and professors at the Harvard Kennedy School to advance the sustainable development goals. So we are uh, a close-knit family. We discuss, we argue, we debate, but we are all very clear that we believe in the equity of women in national and international politics. So I'm going to introduce this panel and I can assure you over the next one hour, you're going to hear very different points of view, 
but they come from lived experience and they come based on data and research that really fuels the work we do. So there is a country raising based on uh, gender parity, the number of men is to women in uh, parliaments across the world. And there is uh, you know, a rating of each particular country. So I'm going to start from what is the least and come to the highest. And from India, the country that is rated at a number 142 with 14% of women to men in the national parliament is Jyoti Mani, a first time member elected to parliament and is a proud product of the quota system because she has come up the ranks where India has reservations in local self-government. In third place from Romania is Ona Bizgan, which is at number 92 with 22.1% of representation in parliament. Ona is a fiery parliamentarian and has uh, been behind 11 laws in her country to protect children, girls, and women. And this is all in her first term. At uh, second place from New Zealand, a country that is really showing the way right now, the only COVID-free country, uh, Rachel, is Mayor Rachel Rees from the city, uh, town of Nelson. And uh, they have 48.2% of uh, women to men in uh, political participation without quotas. So we're gonna love to hear from her about how this journey is possible otherwise. And of course, from Mexico, number five in single digits with 48.2% of representation, we have Adriana Hinojosa Serpendes, who has been a former parliamentarian, a very important part of a political party and a leading voice in the office that is tackling gender-based violence, which is on the rise in Mexico. So without further ado, a little bit about the Vital Voices Engage Fellowship and all these women coming together. Uh, Adriana, I'd like to really start with you. Uh, number five, uh, a great example, having introduced quotas as well recently, uh, what has been your experience having been someone who has seen it through from pre-quota to post-quota uh, to a country that is really now facing a GBV kind of epidemic as your numbers in political participation increase. Do you really believe that quotas is the only pipeline towards greater representation? And what has your experience been? And what is it that you believe makes sense for quotas or not? Over to you, Adriana. Hello, everybody. I'm just very thrilled and happy to be with my sisters from Vital Voices. And uh, first, I want to talk about what's going on in Mexico, because we started voting in 1953. So it's not a long time ago, if you can say as, as women. And we had our first quota on 90, 1996. And from there, it's been like slowly, but uh, it's been a slow pace because it's been a firm place. Now we have this 50-50 congressional law. So we women have to have a 50 quota representation in all levels of government, not only on state or, or national, but on Congress, Senate and, what, and whatever. So it's been a long journey, a fast for a long journey. I, I, I should say that because it's only been like 20 years since we started like developing this quota system. 
And as you said, I'm very proud of being part of it and to have been like the first, been living in, in my political career, all these phases. Now what I see today is that we have a lot of more women in decision-making spaces. That's really, really good. I also seen that uh, gender-based violence has raised, as you said it before, because no matter the law, we still face this, um, people wanting to stop women from getting uh, the right, their rights represented. Or So it's been hard, but I do believe that quotas help because there, there's a path. You have to go through that path, but you have to walk through that path. That's the thing. No, no matter how good the law, if we as women don't get there and we work with it and we help other women to get there and we support other women to get there, quotas uh, are just like uh, something that could be used on a fake level and not to really rise and make women be a part of decision-making processes in our countries. Rachel, over to you. Hello, Monera, and hello to my fellow participants and everyone who's tuning in for this session. I, I want to um, acknowledge the journey that occurs for women to represent uh, their, their people. New Zealand's got a long history of uh, supporting women in politics. And we were the first country in the world to um, afford women the right to vote in 1893, so a long time ago. But it took, took until 1933 for a woman to be elected to parliament. And then it took till 1997, over a hundred years later, for our first woman prime minister, um, Jenny Shipley, who was a great friend of Vital Voices. And um, I know she'll be very pleased that we're pursuing this issue because it is so important. So I think one of the issues for us is it's taken a long time. We have 40% of our parliament um, uh, women, so it's good representation, but still, and we have a, um, a wonderful woman prime minister now, um, Jacinda Ardern, and we're very proud of her and the leadership that she's showing, not only in New Zealand, but around the world. But even in Jacinda's uh, cabinet, six of 20, are women. So there's not equality in terms of representation, even in the Parliament of New Zealand, when we look at our cabinet and ministers. I, I think one of the things that I'm conscious of is that we don't have a quota system in New Zealand. And um, we've made great strides towards representation. I still see that we're sitting at ranked 20th in the world. And that's a good place to be. But I, I think there's room for improvement. I think one of the things that we have focused on is uh, legislation that empowers women and the importance in legislation of, um, of focusing on discrimination, making sure that we have pay equity, that we have education and employment opportunities for women. But it is an ongoing focus area for all of us. In my area in local government, uh, about 30% of uh, mayors in New Zealand are women. Um, the last election, 25%, the previous election, 30%. So we've still got some way to go. And if I look at the female representation or women's representation in uh, councils at local government level around New Zealand, it is still um, lower than 30%. So we've got some real work to do to maintain and sustain um, the equality. 
I think that this is a really interesting discussion about the women's um, reservation legislation. And um, I would just say, having had the pleasure of working with Jyoti um, at Vital Voices, um, if Jyoti represents a success story. And if you can um, achieve more women um, uh, like Jyoti um, representing communities through the women's reservation legislation, then that is, again is a success story for India. Honor. Romania has more women than men in government service. Why has that not really permeated into the political process? What do you believe are the obstacles, uh, considering you are a complete wildcard entry? Uh, you had a great background in corporate Romania and made the shift. What can you tell us about how quotas might or might not work in Romania? Would they be an impediment for someone like you? Or would they encourage someone like you to come into politics? Hello, everybody. Thank you, Manira, and hi to all my uh, fellows from Vital Voices uh, and to everybody that is watching us right now. Um, I definitely believe that the quotas could be and uh, are going to be um, the only way to actually get women uh, where they belong. Uh, I'm a strong believer that nobody will actually make uh, room at the table for us unless we make it uh, for ourselves. Uh, so um, today, as you said, Manira, we have a lot of women uh, running big companies in Romania. We have one of the highest number of women uh, that are CEOs in companies uh, in Europe, not only uh, around in the countries around us. However, in politics, uh, the highest number that we have had before this mandate was 7%. Uh, and this is also because, um, you know, we are a young uh, democracy and it's been only 30 years since uh, we have um, a, a parliament and, uh, and democratic elections. Uh, but also because this was something that was, um, uh, if you want, special put aside for men. And it was, um, it was known as being a very violent uh, place uh, and uh, only for the tough ones. Um, so apparently uh, for a long time in Romania, we were tough enough to run uh, big companies and you know, manage budgets of hundreds uh, of millions of euros, uh, but not tough enough to, to, to do politics. Um, things changed uh, a little bit. Uh, in 2016 because uh, women understood, women that were part of the, the biggest political party in Romania, they understood that um, although they represent 52% of the members of this party, political party, they were always put on the uh, list because we have a, a voting list for the parliament with lists uh, on the last places. So, you know, they didn't get elected, no surprise there. Um, so what they did, they, they managed to make a, a common front and they managed to insert into their own um, uh, party rules uh, that there will be at least 30% women on eligible places on their list. Uh, so this is how we got to the percentage that you said, uh, a little bit over 20% uh, for the first time in Romania. Um, However, this is not sustainable because if only one party is doing this, um, I'm not sure that uh, you know you would 
think that other parties will follow because this one is the biggest one? Well, no, because we had our first uh, prime minister, woman prime minister, who was uh, appointed in a very difficult period of Romanian politics. Uh, and although she did, of course, her mistakes, who doesn't, uh, she paid uh, all the mistakes that men previously done. Uh, so we that uh, we are sort of trying to get out of right now, uh, where, you know, um, men are very easily saying that, uh, oh, you had uh, your shot, you didn't do a good job, so you're not meant to do politics. Well, I don't believe that politics is something dirty or uh, male specific. I believe that politics can be done with honesty and with passion uh, and for the good. Uh, and if this is the case, then we definitely have to be at the table. And even though the table might be not so big right now, I think that we have to make it bigger or to just make our, our, our place there. Uh, so I see very positive it's interesting. Uh, it's interesting, Anna, that you say that, because one of the fellows once said, uh, when we were at the table, we were the main course at the table. <laughs> we weren't, you know, around <laughs> the table uh, with voice and opinion and making decisions. So it's really interesting that you say that. And another uh, point that research tells us is that, uh, ouch, is that... <laughs> Um, women are, are usually appointed into positions when their countries or economies or external affairs or, uh, you know, the internal security is at risk that very often men don't want to really uh, be scapegoats and kind of hand over to women in those positions. That's what we've seen across the world. But coming to you, Jyoti, tell us, tell us what it is to have been able to avail of a quota system at one level, making your way to parliament, you are really at, uh, I would say, a small percentage of women in India who kind of really do well at the local government level. But invariably, that is where the glass ceiling comes and are unable to get into legislatures and the national parliament. So tell us what you feel about it. Hello, everyone. Manira, Angelica, my friends from Vital Voices, and those who tune in to listen to this great conversation. See, really impressive to hear Rachel and Adina, they are almost close to 50%, which still we are dreaming about. See, irony is that actually India has given the first prime, woman prime minister in 70s, she's known as the Iron Lady. So such a strong and efficient, very successful prime minister we had. But despite that, women into state assemblies and the parliament is still a dream. After Mrs. Gandhi and then Rajiv Gandhi, the ever youngest prime minister of our country, realized the importance of having women in the decision-making places and realized the importance of the decentralization of power. So he come forward with the idea of giving a woman reservation in a local governance as a model, as just a try. No wonder it was within, within our own party and outside, it was really, a, he doesn't, it, the idea is supposed to get good support. 
but this is india so everywhere actually there is a problem uh, nobody is willing to support either his decentralization idea or the women reservation bill the beautiful speech he made in the floor of the parliament where he describes how women are capable powerful custodian of the culture and how they do it, control the agriculture economy everything then there is no reason to believe women cannot rule this country rule or any political system so unfortunately when he was alive the that same night when he gave the historic speech this bill was defeated in the upper house of the parliament he left with tears but after his demise then the same congress party government brought this women reservation bill in 1996 the first time it was implemented in my province tamil nadu so i was like i never understand what is politics political party and i do read politics in books i like ona said totally opposite to what she believes that i was not now believe that politics is a dirty place women are nobody else should go to that place so that's what my idea of politics is just i was 21 i just got out of college i want to enjoy my life uh, don't want to do any serious stuff but i read gandhi wanted to do something for the society but not through political system i'm very much for but the situation in my village uh, issues affected me made me to believe that if i have a power i can resolve the issue so not a very deep understanding of politics or women participation women empowerment nothing at that point of time then i first time when i said uh, i shared this in a vital voices also it's a kind of everybody felt that kaliyuga is arrived kaliyuga means that is the end of the world there is a reservation for women only women can fight in those seats so definitely there is a end of the world there is nothing can be after this so that kind of situation when i declared my wish to fight an election there a lot of resistance despite we are having reservation then i decided to fight this out i determined to fight the election despite the well wishers advice so i for the election then then kind of village divided into two there are people strongly believe that women cannot go to politics it's a dirty place they are not capable of doing things which men capable of doing so other people also other side of the spectrum believes that mostly consists of women now i can recollect they will why not always the men fighting the election there is still our issues are remaining despite we are contesting many elections we voting voted many elections so why not a woman so this was a situation but when i made my decision to fight firmly then everybody came around and supported my campaign so that's the key i believe even despite the reservation there are we have lot of stories where there is an achievement there are sad things there are failures through this reservation process this reservation empowered 1 million women overnight to get into the decision making places it was 33% reservation the same india which opposed the 33% reservation so more than well, more than came forward to ensure that 50% reservation based on the work of this 33% women so this is when we say quota i mean this actually i i really seriously doubt the word quota so because we have a capability we have a right to be in part of politics but despite the like the nature said actually new zealand there is a, the people are overwhelmingly support women to get into politics 
maybe the cultural background, maybe the awareness, maybe the people really believe in women empowerment. It's, it's differ country to country. Uh, so I'm really happy that uh, New Zealand bring many, almost 50% women without uh, reservation. But it's I personally feel it's my right, every woman right to, uh, to be in politics and decision making place. Just because of my right is respected, I'm discriminated, my right is ignored every time. There is a cultural situation, political situation, there's a male chauvinistic tendencies which really block my and every woman opportunity. So when this, to level play, to create the level playing field, the reservation is badly needed in India. I cannot speak for the world in India, at least uh, to create a level playing field. So when we come to uh, when the local governments, I'm seriously wondering. There are ten, uh, one, one million women came forward and fought the elections. It meant more than one million women because there might be two million women who have fought each other. So I really wondering when come to state assembly elections and the parliament election, where are they? They work very hard. They put their lives into risk. They achieve many things which men couldn't do for decades. But they, just because this, they are blocked in the state assemblies, they are blocked in the parliaments, they are blocked in the, each and every political party. Every political party shut the door for women very clearly. So it's interesting, uh, Jyoti Mani, uh, yeah. uh, that you talk about this because just last week I was on a panel discussion discussing Burundi. And there they have reservations at parliaments, but they've not let it percolate down to the local levels. And in their country, they are fighting for greater reservation for women at the local level. So it's interesting to see that when countries sit down to discuss quotas, very rarely, you know, you're not in a minority, very rarely do they just give it a across the board, across everything, the judiciary, the executive, the legislature, corporate kind of, uh, you know, uh, what should I say, the boards that run corporations. So it is interesting because when the idea first came up, there was the talk uh, which came from Ross Beth Moss Cantor about the critical mass, 30%, 30 to 40% was discussed in those days as being the critical mass of women's participation needed to ensure that change comes. Now that was like decades ago. So we are here at 2020. Do we believe that this 30 to 40% is still valid or are we now marching towards 50, 50, 50 plus? You know, that's really the question I want uh, to put to you all. And uh, would love to start with Rachel who has shown the most results without any quotas. I think she deserves the flow for, to start off this discussion. Oh, Monero, this is an interesting question. Uh, uh, I'm the first mayor of our city. It took 130 years to elect a woman mayor. And I've been working to increase women's representation in local government in our part of the country. The last election, um, for the first time, we had uh, uh, equality around the table. In fact, of the elected members uh, of 13, seven are women. And, and I have uh, a, a real belief in the importance of, of valuing capability in communities. And I think I look at the, the challenge at the moment of setting a, a quota at 30%. And I say, hmm, does that represent our communities? Does it represent the talent and capability? And I don't think it does. And so for me, 
I, I look for equality and I look for equality of representation. So if it looks, if, if, if our, our tables of decision makers look like our communities, then we better represent our communities and we serve our communities better. So I, I, think, I think there is a, an issue here in terms of um, um, perhaps, perhaps setting the bar too low I recognise the importance in different countries to get started, and so I'm I'm always um, respectful of the different political systems that operate. But even when we come to the table, and Oana talked about what is the world of politics and how do we operate, and one thing that is still very prevalent is that for many of the areas where I work, and I will be one of the few women um, stepping forward to discuss legislation change. Um, or representing at a national level, I'll be one of few women in the room. Sometimes I'm the only woman in the room. And one of the things that I, I, I really focus on is the dynamic of how we make decisions and the culture of decision-making. And there certainly are still many, many barriers to women, um, a, a political system that actually supports a more inclusive society. And so while we can get elected into these roles, Actually, the most important thing is to be able to fully operate and deliver our capability within the culture and system of government. And I think in New Zealand, there are still many, many barriers to that. I, I think our legislation that um, is so clear about uh, um, discrimination gives us a, a safety net. It gives us a platform so that if we are discriminated against, then we know in employment that we have rights to, um, to challenge that. But in a political system, um, politics is, um, is not a dirty game, I, I, but it is perceived as one. But it is, a, um, it is a mischievous game, often. And one where we watch women being unfairly targeted when they make mistakes. We all make mistakes. But the consequences for women in elected, in elected roles is that we become very much uh, judged and analysed and, um, and I just want to acknowledge um, Quint today as, as a media organization that is making a difference to, the, to this discussion. And so I think for us to really thrive in a political world, we need a media who calls out discrimination against women. We need women to support women. We need men to support women. We need to have a system that changes the dynamic and allows women to really um, develop their capability and, and feel safe in the environment. And if I was to look around the world at the moment, I'm not sure that I see many political systems where women will feel safe and valued and empowered to fully express their capability. We're on the way, but I know in my, in my situation, the dynamic has changed quite dramatically as now we've got equality around the table in terms of how we undertake the business of governing. Thank you, Rachel. If you're enjoying this webinar on the Quint, then make sure you subscribe to the Quint's membership and enjoy the exclusive webinars offered to Quint's members. Talking about women's participation and governance, we know that uh, greater women's participation really kind of encourages and changes the face of democracy and uh, impacts society. Uh, what do you feel, Adriana? Because Mexico is really an interesting case. As women's participation increased, the pushback and the kind of rates of femicide really went through the roof. And 
that is kind of a message usually to women, which is step back, step aside. You know, it's, it's like a warning. And we have seen so much violence. We have seen the killing of women politicians elected to office. We have seen online violence, which has taken on a completely different uh, texture, so to say. So what is this connection and how do we combat it between women stepping up and the pushback that they face in politics? And uh, is that why quotas are kind of not, not considered an option that uh, those who hold power want to take? Uh, well, I was hearing my, my fellows, I, I was thinking that in Mexico, the, the discussion and the war is different. We are not now striving for more participation. We are now striving for the right to live. And that's very hard because the rates of the gender-based violence in my country has increased, as you said, a, a lot. I was thinking about a governess. She was the governess from Puebla, a state in, in my country, who was killed just after getting into office. So these things are, are still happening, no matter the law. So I think that that um, quote that I heard from, from Alice, that human rights are, women's rights are human rights, is the main discussion always. As uh, Jody Mari was saying, we have the right to be on the table. We have the right to have a voice. We have the right to change our world. We have the right for, to fight for women's rights. But there's still something that's holding us. So in, in Mexico, especially, the discussion has changed. And sometimes we feel like misrepresented because no matter how many women we have in office, things still are, going, are still happening. And if you have a male president who is not, uh, who in the, in, in the speech favors women, but with the actions don't favor women, it's like this uh, surrealistic world we're living in. So I think there's still so much to, to walk through, to go through, to learn. And unfortunately or fortunately, this is uh, something that, is, that belongs to us. And we women will have to fight for it. Nobody will go, is gonna fight this fight for us. I'm, I'm completely sure of that. So I think that uh, even though we are gaining participation, we now have to gain voice. And that's, the, and that's like the, the issue, no? We are now there. Now we have to make ourselves heard. And, and that's what I think is going to happen in Mexico. Well, Adriana, we definitely recognize you as a vital voice and uh, we are so inspired when we hear your voice and I'm sure that uh, you will bring change. Ona, you uh, were a first timer in parliament, but you've really found a way to work bipartisan to get what you believe is really important to pass in terms of laws and amendments. There is a thinking that I've heard very often that you don't need women to pass progressive legislation that, you know, so much happened before. And it's an interesting point that we hear a lot from male politicians is that we too have a conscience and we too can get this done while completely ignoring the need for more women to be part of that process to bring in laws that really affect them and are about them. What do you have to say about this? 
uh, you know, I'm not going to start uh, telling, uh, talking about men because I think they talk a lot about themselves. So I'm going to keep to my uh, ladies here. Um, I think that, um, you know, I, I've been an independent. I'm one, one woman, independent. Uh, and uh, most of my colleagues, they are part of, uh, of big parties, right? So normally when you are part of a big party, you have, uh, you know, a team behind you, you have uh, certain pr prerogatives and so on. So it should be easier to pass laws, right? Uh, and when I, when I joined the, the, the parliament and I decided to be an, an independent, um, you know, I thought that I would do uh, economic laws because I'm a business trained person. <laughs> this is what I, you know, what I have been studying, what, what I've been working with. But then I looked around and I said, but who's taking care of, you know, everything else? And all the political parties have their own agendas. Um, however, I'm still like the, the only MPs, MP who have passed 10 laws by now and still have about 12 on the legislative um, uh, process, which means that, you know, I, I, I wasn't getting bored at all. There were so many uh, situations and so many problems that were just falling in between uh, political parties' agendas. And uh, I have decided uh, it's not a good idea to work by myself because, you know, I, I believe that when we do things, it's not just to get results. Of course, it's to get results as well. But it's also to make a point and to, to mark the place where you work, right? So everybody was working on their side with their own political party. And of course, you know, the political game, everybody is blaming everybody else and so on. But when it's coming to my laws, all my laws, all my laws had transpartinical support and all my laws passed almost with votes almost in unanimity. And believe me, there were not easy, easy laws. Uh, I even changed the, the criminal law and I made the, the sex offenders register in Romania and I gave the, the rights to education and to health to, to children that don't have IDs and so on. So these were not, you know, easy laws. There were laws that were very important, but somehow um, by talking to every single person and being very confident and having zero prejudice, I managed to convince my colleagues that this is something to, to be done. And to be honest, I'm really proud of it. And I'm really proud of my colleagues uh, because when it's coming to this kind of subjects now, after three and a half years of training, um, it's becoming a little bit of um, um, something that we do, right? Uh, and although we were not allowed to make um, a women's caucus that I've strived for about two years, uh, we managed to um, find each other. Uh, I said we are twenty percent of women here, so okay, we might not want, we we might not be allowed to have a caucus, uh, but we decided to make a, a WhatsApp uh, group. So I think that uh, the fact that we learned to work together and we trained and we were honest with each other and we supported each other, we trained on that, then every single woman went back to their party and explained and talk about, talked about these, these um, laws that we passed together. 
And also, none of these laws, seriously, I don't feel necessarily they, that they are mine because I truly share them with my colleagues and I truly have both women colleagues and male colleagues who, who fought for these laws to pass. So imagine how, you know, this would be if we would have more women to think of everything else that is falling in between agendas, because, you know, politics are about making a real change in people's lives. And who would make a, a who, who better to make a, a, a real change in, in people's lives if not the ones that understand that? and not only the ones that are used to having that position and think, you know, see their own way. Before we go into questions from our audience, I have a last question for you, Jyoti Mani. Uh, there is the talk of women needing to come across party lines in a bipartisan kind of, uh, you know, coalition building. How easy is it with this rising level of conservative, rising level of fascism that we're seeing across the world in our politics. And it's really a little bit about ideology versus biology. You know, the whole idea that uh, women's representation is not just about having women, but it's about having women who think of change, who think of things differently. And that's a challenge we're seeing across the world. I don't think it is uh, relegated to any one country. Do you believe it has been easy to, to build bridges, you know, across very divisive groups to mm -hmm. come together for something that's really important for the country? Whether it is difficult or easy, it's very important to build bridge. I fully agree with Ona. Uh, there are even now we have a very divide politics for the last six years in India. Many times we don't see eye to eye. But despite that, if there are misogynist comment passed in the chair few months ago, so we, irrespective of party, we stood together and make sure that uh, the comment of the person is apologist to the chair. So there are issues when it comes to women rights, women empowerment. Uh, education and the environment, uh, sexual abuse. So there are areas still actually uh, we can work together. Uh, so even in the family, it's very difficult to bring all of them together 100%. So there is always a space, despite our, our political differences, despite our ideology, there are always you and me as a human being. Your problem and my problem is the same. Uh, the, this world problem is our problem. We are living on this earth. But in, in, in that view, still, actually, I personally believe we can work together uh, on issues. We can differ uh, on many issues, but still, of course, we can work on many issues. Uh, we have tried this time and again, even in my state. Uh, we, we have, even within the alliance, we have different partners. Uh, we not necessary the alliance partners are work on uh, work together every time not necessary we have to have a same opinion the opinion differs always so still as a woman we, in my province we have three women in peace we try and work together and try to accommodate men, men male colleagues also these are important this is sometimes they tease you sometimes they uh, allure you sometimes they accept your views but still the conversation is very important at the end of the day like Kona said and others says see when we're sitting together in the table uh, i first feel the conversation is very important 
that might lead to the uh, real result. It might not lead to the result, but the conversation can make a lot of difference. It's interesting. So I'm going to start some of the questions that have, have popped up. There's a very important question talking about reservations and quotas and the idea that women are not a homogeneous group in any of our countries. And uh, is there resistance or are we open to the ideas in each of the countries that you represent to there being sub-reservations within the category for indigenous women, for LGBTQI uh, uh, communities, for marginalized groups, or do we just see it as reservation? We need women and we're not really going to go into the various groups that, that make up uh, the women's population in our countries. So Adriana and Jyoti, I think this is a question to be posed to you all first. And I think Rachel also has some inputs as far as New Zealand is concerned. So Adriana, I'd really like to start with you. How does Mexico look at it? Uh, I think that we have to go step by step. <laughs> First step, we have to make this representation of this 50% or more of the population, at least in my country. We Women are the 51% of the population and we are still seen as a minority. So we have to go that from this space. And I believe that democracy will start growing and will start developing and it will come naturally. No? As long as we have more voices in Congress and on all levels, there will be more space for more people and for more things. So I think in the case of Mexico that we've gone through this first part, now that we have this 50-50 chance of getting there. Now we have to use this to, to be, like I was saying before, the voice for other uh, groups or other sectors so they can come increasingly um, participating on this. So I think it's democracy will, it's always like dynamic. So we have to start somewhere. And I think the quota, gender quotas is the first start. And research shows us, I mean, across the world that women are more receptive and more sensitive uh, to those who share oppression and marginalization. And the chance of them representing these groups in a more authentic manner is higher. But having said that, there is also a very large group who believes uh, that the moment has changed that with Generation Z and everyone who are just so impatient with systems that they feel they have inherited, which they want no part of, really want to see substantial change. What do you say, Jyoti? Do you believe that it's important for reservations to come and then to look at uh, sub-reservations within reservations? Or do you think, clean it up, change it, get it going, this has been on for more than two decades, let's come with something that can see us through for the next 30 years at least. As I said, it might differ to country to country, but still I believe Indian reservation in Panjait Raj is actually a reservation within reservation. Among the 33% reservation, there is a reservation for uh, Dalit and tribal women. So unless you see this, it, India represents the, the, the probably India is the only country our caste system, which is oppressive, which is very very oppressive than gender. I frankly we have to concede that. So the, when we come for a reservation, it cannot be a reservation of a creamy layer. It can penetrate deep into that. So that way the we have to when we see the reservation, we would see not simply a woman, 
among the women which are all areas which are sector it has to go that is feel, i feel more important second thing is this 50% actually i personally don't convince the idea of 50% reservation because why this 50% reservation you and me is capable than like anyone so it it if because the uh, situation is not right because people are not willing to accept they try to oppress they try to discriminate they try to block us that's why we need a reservation my personal feeling instead of fighting within the parliament in, in i'm saying in the indian context when political parties get their own reservation for 33% 50% or whatever it is then actually this uh, women participation might go beyond 50% end of the day as you said women are more sensitive to issues than men i'm not saying all men are bad i'm saying because of the nature we live what kind of drama we go through what kind of uh, life we live what affects us this actually made us completely different from a man men mostly at least i'm saying uh are slightly different so in that way actually india has to look for a political party reservation so one other thing this reservation one issue i feel little bitter that it makes mandatory a woman versus woman which i hate actually i love to fight against men <laughs> not that men is bad because you you actually screw another woman opportunity you actually come up that actually highly uh, from the day one i feel it's very very uncomfortable because now i i feel very comfortable because i was fought against a man and one uh, so this is not when we talk about the reservation for within the political party reservation it not necessary you have to fight fight not mandatory that you have to fight an another woman when political party some political party might feel woman in one constituency some other political party might feel men in the same constituency so that way i feel that actually smart way of taking indian reservation forward is a political party reservation so other political parties cannot lie in the floor of the parliament we don't have the majority to pass the bill so you can build build the cat got it rachel tell us about new zealand where you have quite a substantial indigenous population and how does it work and you know uh, oh manera it, um it works in a myriad of ways and and still not particularly well so we have uh in new zealand our maori population has uh have seats in parliament that are reserved for um for maori um but we still see um a lack a lack of balance around uh decision making tables i think this is a really interesting question because i've had it posed back to me after um talking about vital voices that that actually a focus on gender is um is too binary and we shouldn't be doing that and you know in this world in 2020 we should be um thinking more holistically about representation but i don't think women's representation is 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 a as a, a policy of division is actually a policy of inclusion and and i think that's what we need to focus on as we need to say there are many barriers to um representation for indigenous cultures for our pacifica community in new zealand uh we're a multicultural community and um and we won't see that diversity of ethnicity around our political tables um in new zealand we've got work to do on that but i think the fact that we still have work to do doesn't mean that we uh forget about the importance of women's representation and i think there is a challenge for us because um when i'm when i'm having these conversations um and and i and i'm i'm desperately not going to be i try not to be ageist here but 
but it is very easy to forget how hard we have had to work to get to the place where women are represented in politics, women are represented on board tables. Um, it, it might feel as though it is something that is, the problem's been solved. But I know that if we don't continue to focus on this area, then actually it won't just be, we won't just see a slippage in women's representation, we will see a slippage in the diversity for everybody. And so I see this as a, a policy and a momentum that is very much around inclusion for all and, and a celebration of diversity. It's not a binary discussion. Um, but I think that's one of the reasons in New Zealand where, where we haven't got constitutional quota systems in relation to women's representation because that conversation itself is a complex one around who else should we be providing quotas for? And we have some, um, but I think there's a, there's a better conversation to be had here around um, inclusion, removing barriers, removing the inequality that makes it difficult for people to get rep represented. Um, money counts in politics everywhere in the world. It costs to run a political campaign. And some of those things are the barriers that stop diversity. Um, in parliaments and at council elections. It's interesting that you say that, Rachel, because when Dame Jenny Shipley spent a week with our fellows, I believe uh, Adriana and Angelica were part of that group, where she's, uh, she talked about how difficult it was for those who came before Jacinda, right? You only have the third woman uh, leading your country. And if you were to actually collate the experiences that each of the women who went before had to go through and how much more difficult it was, uh, it's easy to take stuff for granted, right? So one of the questions coming in is about uh, basically this whole movement to bring more women into politics. Uh, does it fail because women don't consider men as allies in this journey and in this process? And would it make sense to include more men uh, in this fight for greater representation? So I'd love to open it out to whoever wants to jump in. I need a, a thumbs up. Okay, Jyoti, it's yours. Jyoti, over to you. I think we always want men to be partner in all our initiatives. See, you cannot, there is no point actually you keep on working with the victims. Times you need perpetrators. They might not be, all of them are, might not be a perpetrators. So as I said, this woman reservation is an idea of a man, Rajiv Gandhi. Before that, it was Hegde. Then there is someone called Pediyar who advocated 100 years back of women empowerment, which, which even now we don't think of. So there are, there are men actually who are very progressive, who really believe in the uh, social justice, believe in inclusion, believe in empowerment. Actually, I don't think any of us actually would like to uh, keep men away from the process. This is uh, like Arina rightly said, this is a, it's not only women rights, it's a human right. So everybody has to work together to bring real change. Adriana, would more men being involved in this process reduce violence against women? That's where I'm hoping to find the connection. I'm, I'm positive it will, because I, I really think that the fight for gender equality is not only for women. We have to make them part of the process. And this is a, like a cultural transformation. 
because we have to change like this cheap, they have, or we all have in our brain, because many women still have it, no? That we are not equal. So I think that we have to work uh, for so many spaces and sites. It's like a very complex issue. And as Rachel says, it's 2020 and we should be focusing on, on other issues, but we're still here. So we have to get allies from whatever we have, our sons, our friends, our spouses, and make this a human right issue, not a gender issue. I, I'm still, I think that's, that's the point. Ona, did you have enough male allies when you decided to transition from the corporate to the political? Um, I did, and in fact, um, I mean, I think we're smart enough to understand that we need to go by there if we want to achieve what we are talking about. Uh, so, uh, you know, I, I, I totally agree with Jordi. Um, what she said earlier was really talking to me in terms of, you know, we talk person to person. Uh, that's exactly how I brought to, to the table of, you know, the transportinic laws that I have passed. Uh, both men and women, because we talk as person to person. And in fact, uh, if you do that, uh, I think that you can connect to a certain level. Well, people, of course, they will not give you the space from the beginning. Of course, they will not tell you what you want to hear from the beginning. Uh, and of course, they will do anything to uh, undermine you or to discourage you or to whatever. But that's, I guess, human way um but if you keep doing it and if you strike them with authenticity and you know when when you believe in what you do it's all over your face and that's uh, uh that's um that's a tool that not a lot of men have uh i'm not gonna generalize here but i definitely saw more passion in more women doing what they believe uh, that is right. And then it's not always, you know, so difficult to push things forward. Uh, and that's exactly why I, um, I believe that we're smart enough, we're uh, strong enough, and we're resilient. Uh, so yes, men at a certain point of time Either they choose or they will have to be our um, partners in this because this is the right thing to do. I'm uh, reminded about what uh, President Dalia Grabaskavaite told the second cohort when she was with them. She said, politics, you have the choice to either be or to do. You know, that's really the choice to do or to be. And it's really such an important question uh, that women face when they get into politics. Very quickly, one minute to each of you. Do you believe in quotas or not? Do you believe it is the pipeline to see a greater number of women coming into decision-making and governance? And, uh, or do you feel there are other ways of doing this? So Jyoti, I start with you, then to Rachel, Adriana, and Ona before we start summing up. I strongly believe quota is the very important pipeline. There are other countries really who had a different method of doing this. So we cannot say quotas the only way. Quotas are very, very important way, especially country like India. As if now it looks like an old, 
the only way maybe the time change the mindset change the more uh, support coming up then there might be better ideas with those quotas we can achieve this but at, at this point of time we definitely need quotas rachel oh manera uh, i think quotas play a role uh, around the world to level the playing field as jotty said um i think there is a, a range of mechanisms to achieve the outcome and and uh, i think legislation is critically important in relation to discrimination um you know you need the supporting mechanisms we need a system of government that that is supports women when they when they reach parliament or they reach their elected um, level we need to also empower each other and um and anna talked about the importance of being strong and smart and confident and authentic and so one thing that i feel very passionately about is that we must be women in our roles and and we must we must serve our communities as women and what i don't want to see is a system that um dampens down and takes away the right of a woman to have a voice and express herself in the way that she feels is right and to serve in the way that she feels is right and so while i can see the role of quotas working um there are start but they're certainly not the finish and there's a lot more work for all of us to do to ensure that we are authentic empowered leaders um because when we are um uh, we do the best that we can for our communities ana One hundred percent. I totally uh, believe that quotas are the first must-do step. Uh, exactly as Rachel said, this is far from being enough or the end of the fight. Uh, but um, I strongly believe that once the quotas are in place and the women are there, um, you know, not a lot of people will make such a big fuss about it, and we can actually start doing the really important stuff for our communities. uh so um uh i really hope for adriana and for uh, our sisters in in mexico that that the violence domestic violence and violence against women will go down uh because this is definitely something that needs to be fought as well uh but quotas are the first must do step in my opinion wonderful as uh, rachel said i think that's really what we hope to do through this fellowship and working with all of you to really hear and amplify strong smart authentic voices who will change uh, the texture of governance and polity in their countries uh, we really um, what should i say i should be grateful to freeport mcmoran who has really kind of given us the freedom by funding this fellowship to to meet and to exchange ideas to come up with advocacy platforms and i also want to thank quint for supporting this initiative and uh, giving us this platform to discuss it of course none of this would have been possible without our vv engage fellow angelica who is a one powerful uh, woman leader in the making and has organized yet another of these webinars which is tomorrow at 5 pm india time it's a part of this dial uh, dialogue series on the need to see 
more women politicians uh, at the table, not as the main course. But I want to end by saying quotas, reservations, affirmative action, whatever you call it. I think what all of us really agree to is the need for, for greater equity for women within these systems, right? It's not just about numbers. In countries which have fewer numbers, it's about that voice. It's about that opinion. It's about being able to tr truly bring in and affect change and to be uh, paying it forward that even if you are fewer in number, you are representing that number that is in your country. And that is really what all of us are committed to, passionate about. We know that it's a journey. We know that when non-dominant groups start to come uh, to the center to kind of partake and share in power and, and the creation of their countries, there is oppression, there is uh, pushback, there is greater violence against them. But as Rachel said, and I repeat, we are smart, strong, authentic women, and we are here to win the battle. So with that, I want to thank each and every one of you and all our viewers and all those who post questions. I hope I did justice uh, to the questions you asked and uh, let's go out and pay it forward. Thank you very much.